Welcome to Three Gens Theology. We are continuing here in our looking at what the scriptures say uh, about who God is, and we are excited to have another uh, another session with you, and are looking forward to talking about the Trinity today. Um, we uh, what I what I want to make sure that it comes through today and I think this will come through um, well, is that you can understand and believe the Trinity. You just can't fully understand the Trinity. <laughs> because we uh, can't fully conceive of who God is uh, doesn't mean we can't know definite things about him. And so the Trinity is one of those areas that I think people... Um, Act like they know everything, which, please. Or because you can't know everything, are bewildered by it and, and thrown off. Oh, it's a concept I just can't get. And, and neither of those are true. You you can understand the Trinity, and you probably won't uh, fully understand the Trinity uh, because he's Almighty God. And so we're looking forward to talking through that today uh, with you. And it'll be a good thing to uh, to discuss. And, of course, we as always, we want to hear from you. Um, to comment or to send emails to us letting us know how you're doing. So let's uh, start with a prayer before our triune God. Lord, we do thank you for this opportunity to share and to uh, talk with one another and then share that with others. Lord, I pray that you might communicate well uh, through uh, what we say, that we would uh, be accurate in what we say, but also, Lord, that uh, not just technically accurate, but that we might push ourselves and others to give you glory in a greater way, in a fuller way, because we understand truth of who you are. Thank you for this time. May you be honored in it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. The fact of the Trinity has uh, baffled people for thousands of years. Yep. Um, while some of the early Jewish scholars were willing to admit that more than one person mentioned in the Old Testament could be described as God, none of the rabbis were willing to accept the Christian concept that there are in fact three persons in one God. And that's primarily because of the teachings of the Old Testament like Deuteronomy 6.4, where it clearly says, uh, Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Um, councils were held in the early church to try to determine the proper language to use to describe the Trinity, uh, and to deal with heresies that developed related to the persons of the Godhead and their relationship to, uh, to the deity of God. Uh, an example of one of those heresies would be one in which the Father was supposed to have become the Son to die on the cross and raise again and then become the Spirit to lead the Holy Church the early church, these changes from one person to another person to another person are not what the Bible teaches, mm -hmm. and so it was recognized as being a heresy. Um, some people struggle with the word Trinity itself because it's not found in the Bible. Right. If, uh, if we don't find it there, how can we say that, that God is a Trinity? And of course, we're going to think about that and discuss that together because it's important for us to realize that 
especially when we're dealing with theological terminology, we're trying to use words that are meaningful to describe something that may be, in fact, described in a different way in Scripture. So when we talk about Trinity, we're talking about the tri-unity of God, both one and three. The average Christian struggles with the mental image of what the Trinity must look like. And I think one thing that will be helpful for us today, guys, is if we emphasize the reality that it's when we try to take the concept of the Trinity and to make it a physical concept that we begin to struggle. Mm -hmm. Because there is no physical entity, no con no context for us to be able to say, oh, well, there's this thing or there's that thing that is just like the Trinity. There is no thing that is just like the Trinity. God, in fact, is unique in his existence. We're going to talk about how we can say that God is both one and three at the same time, but... Do you have any thoughts that you'd like to add by way of uh, introduction as we we move into this? I think some of the, like like the word Trinity, some of the doctrinal words are attempts to help us understand, but any of those words end up with challenges. <laughs> the fact that Trinity is not in the Scripture, the word Trinity is not in the Scripture, mm -hmm. is a stumbling block to some people. But it's only a, an attempt at describing what the truth of the Scripture says. Right. So we don't, we don't care to defend the word Trinity. We care to defend what the, what the Bible says about who God is. And a good description of that would be our understanding of the word Trinity. Right. I, think, I think even the word persons is like that. Our understanding in our day of the word persons it's hard to put three persons into one. Right. Um, but that is, um, again, not really a word that is scriptural per se, but rather explanatory. Mm -hmm. uh, and so sometimes people get stuck on, on that word as well. So there's all of our words fall a little short, but we want to try to be able to describe those right. things. And so um, that would be my encouragement is to understand that the doctrinal explanations are just that. There are attempts to, to, at our best, clearly define what the truth of the scriptures are, right? And right. so I think that's one thing that's challenging going into it is, is the words we use sometimes are... Um, are difficult for some people in, in a variety of ways. Sure. You know, and that's why the early church council struggled so much yep. with the language to use yep. for these descriptions. And then we have to remember that the language they decided upon was in Greek or in Latin, right? which means that it was then translated into English. And in English, we might have a common meaning for one of those words right. that is quite different than what is meant when we're talking about the person right. of the Father or the person of right. the Son. Right, right. We, we so dis distinguish and individualize the word person that it becomes over-distinct 
<laughs> and you can't put them together. Right. You know, and so I, anyway, there's words just that's how this discussion is, but it doesn't change what the scriptural truth is and our attempt to to describe it consistently so you can so you can know what those truths are. Right. You, so right. you define those what you're saying about those words and and I think it can help. But it is as you just step into this doctrinal teaching, it is it is um um, challenging because um, it's easy for someone to nitpick at things and say, well, that's not quite right. And that's not, you know, right. And so we're not right. trying necessarily to defend the doctrine. We're trying to, to defend what the scripture says and then use words to describe that. Right. And we find that the doctrine, in fact, is built upon biblical, biblical teaching. truth, right. And that truth becomes then the, the means by which we we have the foundation for the way in which we word it right. around with right. these other terms. Right. Well, let's get into it. Um, we've talked about the essence of God. And we've said that God is, in essence, spirit. Now, I'm going to use a rather strange term in, in the next few moments, but it'll help us, I think, to be able to grasp what we're talking about. God's essence is one. God is not two spirits. He is one spirit. But when we talk about the essence or the substance, the spiritual substance, if you will, of God, we find that it is shared by three persons. The Father has all the substance of God. The Son has all the substance of the, the essence of God. The Spirit has all that essence and so when we are talking about God being one and three at the same time, this helps us to understand in a spiritual way. Not a, again, not materializing anything, but simply trying to conceive of the fact that a spirit being exists who actually has three persons who are utilizing all that there is of that spirit, which is God. So... If we talk about the persons, it's, uh, it's important for us to recognize that a, a, a person is a nature individualized. A person is a nature individualized. And so we are all humans. The three of us in this room, all of you who are listening, there may be some angelic listeners, but we're not going to count them right now. Uh, we are human beings and each of us is a person there are three persons sitting in this studio right now the three persons who are in this room do not make a trinity simply because the threeness in this room is not occupied or does not make up god through the addition of an essence that we are in. Being in the same room does not make us the same as being sharing the same essence right, of sure. what God is. Sharing the same DNA does not put us in the same essence. Exactly. There are things about us that are extremely similar as there are things about the persons of the Godhead who, that are extremely similar and yet each is individual. Each member of the Godhead was able and has been able and will be able to exist in relation to each other. 
as one God and three persons. Um, one of the things that we need to understand is that when we're talking about this tri-unity, the, uh, the three persons in one, is that we are not talking about one plus one plus one equals three, or one times one times one equals three. Again, that is falling back into our kind of life, our kind of thinking, our world. We have to recognize the fact that it's based upon the reality that Scripture presents to us, the truth, that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And thus, in order to be able to explain the fact that each of these persons is God, we have to understand them as each sharing equally the essence of who God is. And that makes them one in that sense. Athanasius in 373 AD beautifully stated the belief, uh, the Christian belief concerning the Trinity. That we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons, that is mixing them up, nor dividing the substance, breaking God into three parts. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. So if we were to put this in a, in a handy chart, we would find ourselves with the Son, the Spirit, the Father, and in between each of them, there would be a not the same. Not the same. Not the same. But if we were to put a circle in the middle and put little hallways leading into that middle circle that says God is would be in that set of little hallways. We are trying as best we can when we're talking about the Trinity to take the reality that three persons are God and to discuss that as a meaningful statement. And thus, what we finally do is we see that the three persons are indeed individual persons sharing the same essence. Mm -hmm. The essence, the spirit material, if you will, of who God is. You know, much like God doesn't um, in introduce himself in Genesis, he's just there right? It's the same way with Trinity. It's not like God has a section where he defines what Trinity is for mm -hmm. us. It's just a truth of who he is throughout the scriptures. And so as we, as we then try to come to that understanding, it was in, it was in that 300s time that they really got to where the heresies caused them to define that better. Right. Right. And and it's in that time frame that we do see that word persons. Um, and one of the descriptions of that persons uh, that I've understood is the masks that actors would wear. 
um, and that that word for mask is the same as what personas is, persons. Now, the problem is it always, it always gives problems, it does. <laughs> right? It always gives problems. And so from that, you get the, um, you get the, the Superman uh, idea right. where Superman and Clark Kent can't be in the same place at the same time, right? <laughs> uh and 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 so if it's if it's god just putting on a mask for this time mm -hmm. then you could have god is just god and he presents himself as father at times and as son at times and as holy spirit at times and that's where we and, get into the heresy that right, i mentioned right and that's right. that's not correct <laughs> um and so that but um the the same essence um displayed as um, a separate entity, a separate nature, um, and there's not a good word for that. Whatever, whatever that is, always has drag on it from our understandings. But so, persons is what we've chosen to use. So, mm -hmm. don't allow persons to get in the way of your understanding right. of the oneness of God, right? The unity of God. So, um, you might not like the word persons. Um, I would rather, I would rather there be another word, but I haven't come up with one. <laughs> you know? And so um, it's it's uh, from a long time ago that that persons was agreed upon, right? Uh, to to try to explain the the uh, individualness of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Right. And so my my advice is stop fighting it. Just um, just realize it, it might not mean exactly what we mean with persons um, and uh, there's some way to 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 describe um, how the father is distinct from the son and is distinct from the spirit the reason that person ends up being a helpful term right. dan is that it gives us the ability to see that these are not uh inanimate aspects of God, that they are in fact animate, they possess their own characteristics just as these three persons that are in this room each have our own characteristics. Mm -hmm. um, yes, genetically, as Sai pointed out, we share various elements of uh, genetic equivalence, but it's not an absolute. Mm -hmm. Whereas the persons in the Godhead not only are individual, uh, that is that the nature of God is individualized in each one, but that because they are persons, they each act according to a personality, if you will, and can take on various responsibilities mm -hmm. and roles according to the will of God. One of the things that we have to reckon, reckon with is something we touched on last time, and that is that just as there are no true attributes of God that were not active in eternity past before the universe existed, our understanding of the, the Son and the Holy Spirit and the Father in their relationship to Him is very much based upon what we see in the gift of the Father through the sending of the Son. 
his voluntarily voluntarily stepping into this world and the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of individuals. Mm -hmm. So our our understanding is a, a, a very much based on the practical reality of what took place as God reached into this world right. and did what he did according to his plan. Um, but what we need to keep in mind is that the work that the Son did in coming into this world and the work that the Spirit did in leading the Son and the work the Father did in his relationship with both does not define the the ontological. That's a, a big word that means the the basic foundational relationship that they have. Mm -hmm. That's the existence that they've always had apart from anything they've done in this world. Right. <laughs> I see that smile. That's exactly, I mean, so um, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have, have coexisted um, harmoniously mm -hmm. in eternity. Yes. And, um, and so what we see in the distinctions... Um, were true but weren't seen that's part of the reason you don't see as much in the Old Testament mm -hmm. is because those differences are displayed when the Father sends the Son yes yes <laughs> and then sends the Spirit right you know and exactly. so that's why we see those um, more in the New Testament it's not as though they weren't true in the Old Testament, yes, right, but uh, we we just don't see it as much. It's not as evident in the Old Testament, right? Now, there's one thing that that I think it's good for us to mention here, and that is, as we were talking earlier about the the co-sharing of the persons of the Godhead of the essence, it's also important for us to to ask the question: Is there a kind of hierarchy? within the Trinity. That question became a big issue, again, because of the question of how the Son, as he was ministering on the earth, and as he is now in heaven, and how the Holy Spirit, who seemed to be serving the Son, presenting the Son, speaking of the Son, showing the Son, do we see some kind of a hierarchy, a sort of a subordinationism that's going on? And what I would like to answer in, in response to that is, there is no indication that in eternity past or in etern uh, eternity future, that there is any reason for us to see a subordination among the members of the Godhead. They equally share all there is to be God. And as a result of that, even though we see in the work of the, the Son and the Spirit here on the earth what appears to be a subordination, that is a voluntary subordination that they took on in order to be able to work in the universe in the way that God had planned. Right, we clearly see that as we look at Jesus' life. He t talks about the will of the Father, and uh, we, we clearly see a a subordination there, uh, but it is important to recognize, like you said, that it's a willing subordination. It's not a, uh, it's not that 
you know, they they say they're the same. They say they're all equal, but they're, you know, we really know what's going on. It's not like a, you know, it's not like a lot of marriages we <laughs> we see where, well, they, they definitely have the pants in that relationship. Uh, but, no, there's a willing subordination. Yeah, that's right. And um, as we see Christ taking voluntarily a subordinating role, um, when he is worshipped, that worship is not put off. That's right. Um, and so there isn't in his receiving of of worship, there isn't a de- deference to the Father mm-hmm. in that, right? Which is uh, right. of real importance because you you see that when um, when like the apostles are worshipped as God, they're like, no, 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 that's not. <laughs> We're not God. That's right. And when you have angels are doing that, mm-hmm. that's not they're not receiving worship. But when Christ receives worship, there's no there's no delineation between the, the worship that would be given to the Father and the worship that's given that's uh, right. to him. That's right. As there is no delineation or di- differentiation now as we worship the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit, we worship them equally. So, but there is a subordination in the volunteer setting as as Christ fulfills the role that he came to fulfill. That's right. And as the Spirit fulfills the role that he continues continues to fulfill. Yes. Right? That's right. The bringing glory to the Son, bringing glory to the Father that the Spirit does um, is is a a deferential um, role but not one of less value. That's right. Um, so it is, I, I have heard the, the analogy of uh, husband and wife. They're certainly worth the same before God, but the husband's called to be the head of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, again, that is that voluntary subordination is what Christ has done. Yes. Um, in uh, When he's here, I can't do anything except what the Father tells me to do right you know? and so so uh so important to um mostly to gather that that doesn't mean less in in uh value or in ability or in his co-equal nature right and there again we want to make sure we're not in christology yet we will be getting there right. and, and talking about that much more dan yeah but I do think it's important at this point that we establish that there is an absolute equality between the members of the Godhead that has existed from the beginning. And, I, and it has nothing to do with this universe. And I assume we'll get in, we will get into this more fully in Christology, but this topic is one of the main areas of heresy in in at least um, who who claim to be Christian but aren't, you know? Right. I mean, the the beliefs, not people, but the pe- beliefs of 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 systems, mm-hmm. um, like the Mormons believing that you can become a god. Right. Um, they would they would have they would not buy into a trinity trinity view trinitarian view. No. Um, and so. So many of them deal with what what is your view of Christ. So that's why we'll get into it more with Christology. But it comes back to this Trinity idea um, in a lot of the 
um, heretical groups right. are what will you do with Christ? Yes, and, the, and it the comes back to Trinity relationship of uh, the persons to one another, the deity or lack of deity of one of the persons or another. Mm-hmm. Um, each of those issues uh, are very important to understand because we see that this is the fact that the Mormons do that or that any other group does that today uh, is really nothing new. It's nothing new under the sun. These right. heresies existed mm-hmm. in the early church as yeah. well. Yeah. Well, let's, let's look at the biblical evidence uh, concerning God. And I think that the Trinity is going to become clearer and clearer from the perspective of what Scripture teaches yep. uh, as we go through these passages. First of all, God is declared to be one in the Old Testament. I mentioned Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Um, the concept that there is a unity, that there is a oneness to God, is something we have completely agreed with as we've been going through our discussion today. This is the area where we're in complete agreement with uh, the, the rabbis. Uh, we would say, yes, God is one. Mm-hmm. but he is also three persons at the same time. Malachi in uh, chapter 2, verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another? By profaning the covenant of the fathers. In the New Testament, we see Jesus referring back to those same passages. Uh, Mark 12, 29, Jesus answered, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. These are from the lips of Jesus. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. James 2, 19. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, 5. That verse will be an interesting one for us to look at. Mm-hmm when we get to Christology. So those are some passages that clearly refer in the Old and New Testaments to the oneness, the unity of God. Yeah. Well, and there are several passages in the Old Testament that that we could turn to. Uh, uh, Isaiah 44 has the idea, there is no God beside me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's really talking about that there aren't other gods, but it is in the same time saying there is only one, only one God. And that is an interesting thing. I'm glad you brought that up, Dan, because in reality, some people have confused these two issues. Mm -hmm. You just stated it clearly. But some have confused it by saying, well, when we're talking about one God, we're talking about the one God as opposed to a God among many gods. But that's not the issue. We're talking about God's essential makeup, his, his nature, his godhood, we're not talking about whether there are one or many gods. Although there have been there have been those who, in their their view of Trinity, have three gods. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Father, Son, and Spirit are separate gods, but yes. that's not certainly biblical either. No. Um, but uh, yeah, the the that I am the the Lord, I am the Almighty. That 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 is um, continued throughout, especially the Old Testament. Um, that uh, we see then repeated, as you saw in, as you read in, in the New Testament, 
Um, it, it doesn't leave room for multiple biblical gods. Tritheism. Right. And it doesn't leave room for, well, this is the biblical God, but there are other gods too. So I don't think we're fighting that battle today, but that certainly is clearly taught that there's not the biblical God and other gods. But it's also pretty clear in saying that the biblical God is one God, right? Right. And so it's a, you see that a lot in the, uh, in the Old Testament especially. Now, three persons then are declared to be God. And we need to look at the, the evidence for that. And guys, I want you to feel free to chime in here. But let's look at some of those passages together. The Father. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God uh, to the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority, and all and power. First Corinthians fifteen, twenty-four. God the Father. Right. So John seventeen doesn't um, doesn't say the word Father, but it's evident because it says he sent Christ, who is called the Son. But mm-hmm. uh, John seventeen three. This is the eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so the Father is is. Uh, classified as God. I don't think there's a lot of cynical pushback on the Father being God. No. You know, so no. to 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 uh uh to feel the need to find lots of scriptures that are expressly saying the Father is God is not really necess- necessary or um an area of defense cuz typically the Father is yeah. is thought of as God. <laughs> The, the only reason for us to be very concerned about that... Right. It needs to be proof, Ted. I mean, that, we need to have those texts. Yeah, but, but it, it, because of the fact that we are talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we, and we say that the three are one, we want to make sure that we emphasize that each of the persons, mm-hmm. the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are identified in Scripture as God. Yeah. We, if, we, if we automatically make the assumption that when the Father is mentioned that that is God and that none of the rest would be God, then we've, we've really jumbled the whole concept. Mm-hmm. What we're basically saying is there are three persons who are referred to in Scripture as God. Yep. And regardless of common confusion, as you said, um, we, it's important that we see that the Father, the one referred to as the Father, is in fact God. Yeah. It, it, it is in in basically all the times that Jesus talks about the Father. Mm-hmm. It is it is contextually clear that he is talking about God. Yes. Right? And so uh, in those verses it it does not say the words the Father uh, is God right? Uh, but the con- the context of all those times that Jesus is talking about the Father, uh, it is evident that he is um, uh, giving him a, a a deified state, right? You know, 
Right, um, and that'll become even clearer when we see the times that Jesus uses that language and the pushback that came from right. the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes right. when he spoke of the Father and his relationship right. to him. Right, so um, those are not necessarily proof texts that you s- see it say the Father is is God or the Father is eternal, or the, you know, those kind of things. But the context of what he's saying, it's evident that Christ is saying Father in a sense that it is God. Right. Now for the Son, I'll give uh, some passages, and if you guys have some others, that would be great. Mm-hmm. In John five seventeen and 18, the Jews were preparing to stone Jesus because he was making himself equal with God. Mm-hmm. In John twenty twenty, let me just yeah, so there are there are definitely people in our day that say that Jesus never said he was God. Yeah, and uh, I don't I don't understand. I really don't understand. They've never that. read the Gospel of John, right? Because <laughs> you have you have the the people at the time who definitely see that he is saying he's God, and yes. they um, tear their clothes and they pick up stones and right right, and so I don't I don't quite understand. Um, how that catches hold mm-hmm. um, uh, because uh, it's evident that the people he was talking to understood him to be saying <laughs> that I am God. I think it's it's good, Dan, for us to, to, to pause for a moment and remind ourselves of some things that we've said in the past when we're talking about the uh, critical thinking that has come into the interpretation of Scripture. Yeah. A lot of those who write that Jesus never said that he was God are those who have already written off a lot of what Jesus said as just being the report of, you know, maybe the bad memories of the apostles or, you know, maybe it was something that's just part of the mythical history of Jesus and all of these different positions that have been taken by people Mm -hmm. who have refused to accept the authority of scripture bring this kind of of logic if it wasn't really jesus talking if these really aren't actual accurate accounts then you know we can say jesus one time said this and he said this over there but none of that means anything because jesus didn't really live and he didn't really say any of those things anyway right when you get to that place of unbelief any kind of a statement about what jesus said or didn't say is based upon a very limited concept of right. what the Bible actually, actually should says. say yep. or does. Yep. So uh, I like the John twenty twenty eight when Thomas uh, finally understands mm-hmm. who Christ is and he proclaims, "My Lord, My God." Um, you know, it's that's a it's not Christ saying he's God, but it is a, a recognition of truth that is accepted as truth. Right. From what Thomas uh, says there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Colossians right. two two, two nine two nine uh, for in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. So you have um, that statement of him uh, possessing everything that there is with deity within him. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Titus two thirteen looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Some have wanted to say, well, this verse is not really talking about Jesus being God, it's our great God, and then our Savior. Does it make any sense to talk about the appearing 
of the Father and of Jesus? It really doesn't. The passage is clearly calling him not only our Savior, but also our God. Mm -hmm. Right. And if that were the only passage, I could see that there could be discussion, but it's not the only passage talking about Jesus being God. So, right. That uh, what dad what dad was talking about the the when Jesus said things there was reactions like the that the Matthew nine is is first but the the paralytic when they sent him through the roof and he forgives the, forgives him of his sins and mm-hmm. then Jesus perceives that they're you're you're blaspheming right and he's like well is it easier for me to forgive sins or tell him to walk right and this right. guy's clearly never walked I mean uh, that's that's always one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite miracles because Jesus kind of like what, what 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 do you guys want from me? I I forgave his sins. All right, I'll tell him to walk. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do something easier. I'll yeah. tell him, you know tell this uh, cripple to stand right. up and walk. Yeah. So, but they that's again clearly we see the reaction there of they everyone in the room recognizes. Oh wow, he what he did is he's saying he's God, right? So that's right. Yeah, that's right. And when and when confronted on those things, he doesn't doesn't deny. No, you know you, you you're saying and and you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So. All right. Yep. How about the Holy Spirit? We have some passages in in the New Testament that make it very clear that the Spirit is God. We also have passages in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit is acting, where the Spirit of God Mm -hmm. is doing things that could only be done by God. And we're going to get to those in a moment. But there are a couple of passages where he is described as God. Uh Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 is one of the the famous places where that is true. Mm -hmm. Peter said, uh, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Ananias and Sapphira had said they were were giving uh, to the church, and it turned out that they were lying about what they were doing. And so Peter confronts them, and he says, Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it was yours, you could do whatever you wanted to it with it. Uh, why have you conceived this thing in your heart, he asks Ananias. And then he says, you have not lied to men, but to God. And so here he's making a clear mm-hmm. a, uh, a connection between lying to the Holy Spirit and lying to God. Another passage would be uh, combining Matthew 12, 28 to 32, describing Jesus casting out the demons by the Spirit of God with Luke eleven twenty, where Jesus described himself as casting out the demons with the finger of God, another evidence of the Holy Spirit right. being God. Um, and the, Hebrews 3 is a, an interesting one where uh, it says the Holy Spirit says, and then it, it goes through some um, Old Testament history. So first mm-hmm. of all, it shows that the whole Holy Spirit was, was there. Yes. Um, but then also it's these statements in the Old Testament are made to, uh, you know, are made by God. And now here in Hebrews 3, it says just as the Holy Spirit says. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, yes. it's a, there's an equality there between what the Old Testament is quoting of God and the New Testament is saying the Holy Spirit says. Yes. Um, and so mm-hmm. um, it's, a, it, it's a great um, combination from 
time and authority. Yes. You know? That's right. So, so far, we have seen that three persons are all identified as being God. So, with this in mind, we're going to wrap up our time together to wait on our next podcast to discuss the way in which these three persons are used together and beyond that to talk about the the works of the members of the Godhead and how they point to each of them being God. So this has been a good good first session in talking about Trinity. Um, There is one God, but then... Uh, distinctly, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. And so um, we want to use words to describe that, to, to more concisely describe that. So that's why we talk about Trinity, and that's why we have one essence and three persons. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we want to do is to represent the Scriptures correctly. And so it's the Scriptures that are right in what they say about the Godhead. And so our descriptions, we think, are... Uh, over these centuries, we think these, this description is, is the best description we can have. But again, the, the doctrine is just our description of what the scriptural truth is. The scriptural right. truth is what's important. Well, thank you for joining with us uh, today. Um, we desire for you to know more about who God is so that you can be more confident in your walk of faith with him and that you can give him glory in a greater way. And so uh, as you are walking in relationship with him, um, seek to know him more so that you can more fully uh, embrace who he is and uh, give you um, joy in uh, seeing the truth of God. It's great. So we will look forward to talking about uh, Trinity a little farther next time. Um, But for now, uh, make sure that you are giving God glory in your life.